Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Today, I'm glad to welcome to the show Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan is the editorial director for Nine Marks and co-host of the Pastors Talk podcast. He is the author or editor of over a dozen books and teaches at several seminaries. Jonathan lives with his wife and four daughters in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and is an elder elder at Chevrolet Baptist Church. You can follow him on Twitter at, uh, at Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Really glad did to I pronounce, be here. Did I pronounce the name of that church right? Is it Chevrolet? You got it. Okay, As great. soon as you said I thought, oh, you did it, because not everybody <laughs> does. Great. All right. Well. Good, good, good way to start. Uh, glad to have you on. As I was telling you before we got started, I have been uh, using Nine Marks resources and been helped by Nine Marks a lot over my career in ministry and in church planning, pastoring. Uh, even right now in my church plant, we're going through the process of establishing a, a deacon team. We uh, established our first elder board. Uh, almost three years ago and now we're adding the deacons and we're continuing to use nine marks books and journals so just want to thank you for that and it's a pleasure to have you on great yeah Um, that's encouraging to hear thank you yeah so we're having you on today to talk about your new book that i'm really happy about excited about Uh, it's called authority how godly rule protects the vulnerable strengthens communities and promotes human flourishing so on this show we um, I, i try to make it a show that is willing to go into any topic look at everything mm-hmm. in in the world because if it is yeah. uh, anything under the sun then it is underneath the rule of christ and the christian worldview has something to say about it and that includes authority and that's a topic that we haven't addressed on this show and uh so whenever i saw that you wrote this book i thought man what an uh, incredible opportunity to get to look at uh, another topic through the lens of the christian worldview i have to apologize my puppies down there uh Who, playing who's, so, the pu- who's the puppy <laughs> his name is cosmo Ooh, what He's down there. Yeah, so if you hear some growling and barking, he's down there playing with his toy. He's very vocal. So you're you're a Seinfeld fan? Well, yes, but my daughter's the one who chose the name. My six-year-old daughter chose the name. And so, of course, when she said it, I immediately said, yes, that's perfect. Yes. All right. Because the the audience wants to know a little bit more about you, too, Aaron. They're, They're tuning in for you, too. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, I forget to include information about myself. But yeah, if, if anyone who's been listening for a while knows about Cosmo, because every now and then they hear him uh, right. say something back there because he's very vocal. He's a blue healer puppy, just over three months old. Uh, he's great. But anyway, so happy to talk about authority through the lens of the biblical worldview and what uh, that means in light of God's word. So let's just begin by talking about uh, how you go about defining authority. In the first section of the book, you spend three chapters defining and explaining authority. Uh, So how do you go about uh, describing that that, that idea? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, You know, you said we've never talked about it before. My guess is you have. My guess is if any conversations you've guys had, you've had in past episodes about church, state, science, education. Uh, Our lives are suffuse with authority. And I think that's one of the first things I try to point out in the book, which is 
you and I were created to rule when God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Hardwired into our very ontology as human beings is the exercise of, of authority. And so it, it comes up every day, all day, in all of our lives, right? It's, it's sort of the foundation in many ways in which we live our lives. And a, a lot of the culture wars, Cosmo will tell you, a lot of the culture wars uh, have to do with my or your, this group or that group's version of how authority should be used. So th these are some of the things I, I covered in the beginning. If, if I were to give it a quick definition, uh, I think it's helpful to contrast it with the idea of power. Power is the ability to do something, the strength, the competence of the power to pick up a rock, power to fix a leaky faucet, power to solve an algebraic equation. Authority is the moral license we have to exercise power. It's an authorization, right? So when my daughter was 15, she had the power to drive a car, but she couldn't do so legally. At age 16, she went down to the Maryland Department of Voter Vehicles, and they gave her a license to drive a car. That, at that point, she had authority to drive a car on the road. So that, that's what authority is. It's, it's the authorization, author, uh, authorization, the license, the moral right, you could say, to exercise power in some given domain. And any time you have authority, you have an authorizer. You have a, somebody who must grant that authority. And human beings do not have it of themselves. God mm -hmm. or someone must give it. Yeah, that's good. I've recently started to dip my toes into uh, some of Malcolm uh, Mudridge's Mudridge writing, and uh, he has this great quote. Uh, I'm just going to read the, the first sentence in it, but he said, if God is dead, somebody is going to have to take his place. Yeah, How do you think? Well said. And, and I think we live in a society today where, as Nietzsche declared, God is dead, and many people in our society believe that and, and live as if, as if that is the case. So what does that mean for how authority is viewed in, uh, in our culture today, and how does Christianity challenge that? Yeah, at that point, a couple of things happened. You know, I mean, a, a devil's Russian where, where angels feed a, a tread. Uh, number one, we can just decry all authority and say it's all terrible, and we all become critics of it and just say it's bad, which leads to a kind of moral chaos. We are presently living in such moral chaos, where everything is deconstructed, uh, deconstructed, and and kind of thrown onto the chopping block, and uh, we we feel the effect of that all around us. So, number one, people decry all authority if if God is dead. Uh, number two, back to my angel devil point, somebody's going to step up and lead. Some authority will fill the vacuum. It is inevitable. That may be a cult leader, that may be a terrible politician, that may be any number of individuals who put them forward, put themselves forward uh, to, to fill the void, because people have to believe in something, right? They have to follow something. They have to give some structure to our lives. It is impossible to live without authority. Something must give structure and, and cohesion to social life together. Right. Somebody has to say, drive on the right, drive on the left, wh whichever of the roads. So, so it is authority is inevitable. You cannot get away from the exercise of authority. If there's to be any social cooperation between people whatsoever, if there's going to be any moral code by which we live, if there's no morality, you know, you, no authority. But, but, but if there's morality, if there's a right and a wrong, 
there, there needs to be somebody to say so and to say so authoritatively and, and politically and otherwise. Uh, third, if, if God is dead, we become self-authorizing. We decide we're God. We do what we want. We decide, I have the right to walk here, I have the right to walk there, I have the right to do this with my body, that with my body, this with my wallet, that with my wallet, and nobody has any say over me. And so one of the things I labor to say in the book is that the solution to bad authority, which we're well familiar with in the West, in the world, the solution to bad authority is not no authority, but good authority. And yeah. it's easy to talk about and think about bad authority. But have you ever thought about good authority? What is good authority? Do you know? If you've never given any thought to that, uh, it's it's something worth a, a, a Christian doing. So you, you asked the question, what do Christians do? Well, Christians look to the Bible and, and see what yeah. God says about his authority and the authority he's given us. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it, that reminds me of some of the things written by, by C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man. He warns of what will happen whenever all... He describes the standards, or, but what happens whenever authoritative standards are removed, whenever uh, an objective truth and objective morality is removed, what will happen? Uh, and Francis Schaeffer talks about the same thing in several of his books, including uh, most prominent yeah. mind is uh, Christian Manifesto. He warns about it very strongly, saying whenever the word of God as the final authority is removed, well, then some someone is going to step up and take that place as the final authority, mm -hmm. and that will no, be a... And that would be a tyrannical rule, whether it be a tyrannical rule by fear, a tyrannical rule by uh, pleasure. Uh, that's something that, that's actually the rest of that uh, Mugridge. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Mudridge or Muggeridge? Do you know? I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard someone pronounce it. You go ahead and put yourself out there. I'm gonna I should have asked. Back. I've had Oz Guinness on this show five times. I should have asked him. should have asked him. Whatever he says is going to be right. But anyway, the rest yeah, of that quote right. from him that's says... Exactly right. He says somebody's going to have to take his place. It will either be megalomania or erotomania, the drive for power or the drive for pleasure, mm -hmm. the clenched yeah. fist or the phallus, Hitler or Hugh Hefner. Yeah, that's so, good. Yeah. I mean, Fran Francis Schaeffer makes a point that in a, in a, in a, uh, a society in which God is dead, there's going to be an inevitable tendency towards statism. Mm -hmm. uh, just the growing power of the state to fill that role, that vacuum. I, I like the Muggeridge point about it. it might also be pleasure. It might also be eroticism. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, one way or another, something's going to step in. Yeah. So, okay, a couple of different directions I'm thinking of going from here. How about, okay, let's let, let's stick on this point for Lots just a second longer. Just a second longer. To help people who are listening to this and you know interested in hearing about authority and hearing us discuss these ideas on kind of a high level, can you draw out for them and help them to see through some real examples in our life and culture today? Do you think that Schaefer, Lewis, Muggeridge, these guys who predicted this, do you think that what they've said is playing out? Have they been proven right as um, people have quit looking to God and the Bible as the final authority? Something else has been, has, something else has been taking its place, such as uh, statism or um, hedonistic culture. Do you think that's been playing out? And can you give examples of that to help the people who are listening and trying to follow along but struggling to see how what we're talking about actually plays out in our uh, culture? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, on, the, on the one hand, on the one, on the one side, with, with the removal of God and his word as a authoritative voice in private and public life, 
there has been an increase in moral dissolution, moral anarchy. It's, you know, one of the final verses of, of, of Judges, in, in the ju- days when the judges rule, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of on the moral landscape, that's precisely what we see on the one hand. On the other hand, you do have a growing and powerful state, or you have law moving in to more and more areas of our lives and adjudicating all kinds of things that law was never intended to adjudicate. Uh, I think you get that both in the kind of legislation that's passed. Anytime something goes wrong in society, in the banking industry, right? Something goes wrong in the banking industry. You have a meltdown. Uh, people get angry. What do they do? They go to the, the, you know, the congressman and say, you got to do something. And so the Congress passes a bunch of laws about banking regulation, right? And that happens over time. And little by little, you just have more and more regulation, say, in the banking industry, in the financial markets, than you had years ago. And, and in, in fact, if you look into the financial markets and the banking industry, what you what you see is the vast majority of laws aren't enforced. They just can't. There's no way they can enforce all the banking regulations that, that uh, are on the books. And so what you get then is necessarily a nation of um, selection where people decide, the governors decide when to enforce this or that regulation. Hmm. Because you can't possibly, you, you no longer have a nation of rule of law, you, you, you have a nation of rule of picking and choosing uh, whoever's in power. And okay, that's that's the banking industry. We, we, we could go across a whole host of different industries where the, the civil law especially has just, you know, ballooned like crazy. And add to that, Growing, the growing technocracy, tech, tech. What's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the yeah. growing technical, late, late, you know, nature of so many different environmental industry, agricultural industry that requires a certain level of expertise, and more and more lawmakers can't account for all that. And so, what you have is growing environmental protection agency, growing Department of Agriculture, and specialized uh, bureaucracies who are seeking to enforce and rule by executive action and so forth. So wherever you look, you see, I would say, a growing kind of statism. Mm. So in response to a lack of, uh, let's say, lack of moral consensus among the people, among the nation as a whole, kind of a grassroots moral consensus, it's inevitable that you're going to go in one direction towards a kind of moral dissolution and anarchy, and in the other direction, towards a growth in the power of the state. Mm. Though yeah. the power of the state is going to be exercised to some measure, not consistently, but very indiscriminately, uh, according to whatever the, you know, whatever the, 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 you know, the deputy director at the Environmental Protection Agency decides to enforce on that particular day yeah. and so forth. Yeah, wow, that's good. And a lot to be said there. You know, it makes me think of uh, something to refer to Oz Guinness again, something in one of his books. I can't remember which one. I think it might have been Magna Carta of Humanity, but he discusses how. So, Aaron, Aaron in future yeah. shows, are you going to be like, so Jonathan Lehman said. Yes. So you do with. Frequently. Awesome. Frequently. <laughs> <laughs> but 
he he said how one of the problems with our culture today and uh particularly in in relation to this is that we have a uh a complete loss of trust in our society one yeah. of the thing one of the the uh environmental necessities to have a culture of high trust is to have an agreed upon moral consensus like you said before an objective moral consensus well once yeah. you lose that and it's as you refer to uh, in judges, it's just everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, if you you lose that moral consistent consensus with it, you lose trust. What's going to take its place to hold society together? Well, inevitably, it's going to be the state enacting laws, and that ends up resulting what you talked about before, which is these unaccountable, unelected bureaucracies, uh, accountable yeah. on paper, but you know we know in practice, completely unaccountable. They can completely <laughs> blunder what they're supposed to do with no repercussions you know yeah. um and and that's, that's an right. example of bad authority as you talk about in the book because good authority is accountable you talked about and referred to bad authority can you give some examples uh from scripture of what would be good authority because we can't as christians i don't think we should just look at the culture and critique it and say what's bad but also no, offer right. a positive constructive answer um <laughs> So what, using scripture, what would be examples of here's good authority, here's what we should pursue um, to remedy some of these issues? Well, and let me just say on that point, yeah, so many of the, the books being written by people, let's just say on the political right and the political left, these days are, are criticisms of, of bad authority, right? Uh, and that, those are important books to write. But it is crucial that we understand, as I said a moment ago, what good authority is. A famous text that is worth repeating over and over, example of good authority, is Second Samuel 23, verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David. Okay, interesting. David knows a little something about authority. These are some of his last words. What does he say? I'm curious. And it goes on, the Oracle of David, the son of Jesse, and it kind of sets it all up. And finally, it says this, the God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel said to me, here it is, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Okay, when one rules justly over men, what does ruling justly look like? When one rules in the fear of God. Okay, well, that's the source. If I fear God and I rule justice, what does it look like? It looks like dawn. It looks like morning light coming down. It looks like rain coming down. That The sun and that rain uh, nourishes that field of grass. And as you continue to watch, that field of grass grows up vibrant and green and beautiful right? Mm. That is what good authority looks like. Good authority is uh, the mother mothering, the coach coaching, you know, the teacher teaching in a way that makes you stronger. The coach that enables you to run faster, the the teacher that enables you to know more and do well on the test and write a book and the, and, and the mother who, who helps you become a fully equipped and prepared human being. That's what good authority does. Good authority authors, authority, authors life, creates life, right? It's a beautiful picture. It's God, and Adam and Eve in the garden. God's saying, all of dominion, all the earth is yours. Go for it, right? Don't mm -hmm. do this, but do this. 
And throughout Scripture, we get flex of that, of course. We, we see David in good moments, but of course David in bad moments. Moses in good moments, but of course Moses in bad moments. We get, we get Pharaoh at the time of Joseph. He's a comparatively good authority. He, he seeks wisdom. He seeks sound. Hey, hey, does anybody know what these dreams mean? Hey, there's this one Hebrew dude in prison. Listen to him. Pharaoh's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to whoever. You know, you tell me. What, what, what do I do? Joseph comes along and he's like, got to store up. Famine's coming. And Pharaoh says, sure, that, that, uh, I trust you. Let's do it. So that Pharaoh was a good authority. Compare that with the Pharaoh of Moses' day, several hundred years later. That was a terrible Pharaoh, a terrible authority, mm-hmm. right? Of course, supremely the best authority in Scripture, Sunday school answer is Aaron. Jesus. Jesus, that's right, who's <laughs> given all authority in heaven on earth. But how does he do it? Yeah. He does it by submitting himself perfectly to the Father's authority. Hmm. I don't do anything or say anything except what the Father has given me to do and to speak. And by being perfectly submissive to the Father in heaven, the incarnate Jesus both claims and examples for us perfect authority. Which becomes one of the first lessons of authority that I talk about in the book. Good authority is always under, always submits to a higher authority. Yeah. If you can't if you can't be under authority, you should not be in authority. Oof. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, one thing that you said uh, reminded me of this. Maybe you talked about good authority uh, brings flourishing, and you can almost imagine like mm. the grass growing. Uh, to reference a not a biblical example, a cultural example would be one of my all-time favorite Disney movies being The Lion King. You know, early in the movie, whenever they have a good king who is Mufasa, Mufasa uh, the land was full of flourishing and life. Oh, it was amazing. green. The bad king comes in, bad authority, scar. Uh, it's dead. And then my favorite part of the movie I always make my kids be quiet so that I can enjoy this scene whenever Simba climbs up pride rock uh you know so the, the good authority the good king is returned the rain washes away the the wickedness of the former king and then in the next scene there's grass and animals and it's beautiful and it's like that is that is what a good king does you know as you put put it before whether it's a parent in the household a uh, boss in the business teacher in the classroom they bring about life and flourishing yeah and the, the, uh, I, I love that i think of that example that's a great example the two the picture of the two different landscapes under mm-hmm. first mufasa and then scar mm-hmm. and then returned under under simba that that's a perfect that's what, and what i try to do in the book is i in some ways i trace those authority and creation authority in the fall authority and redemption, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a beautiful picture of exactly what you're talking about is Psalm 72 of Solomon. And it it talks about, it says, give the king your justice, O God, your, your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness, your poor with justice. Okay, here's a king judging with righteousness and justice. What's the result of that? Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, not just the needy, but the doubly deaf, the children of the needy. Mm. They're, they're rising up and crush the oppressor, it says. And then, and these, these verses make me think honestly of a Disney movie. The, these, I would call the, these verses are like the Disney movie broken spell moment. It says, um, Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made continually for him, may there be abundance of grain in the land, 
On the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and the people blossom in the cities like grass in the field. You talked about the grass yeah. returning with, with, with Simba, and you see this picture of returning. It's like the wicked witch is dead, or the, the bad lion is gone. Yeah. You have this broken spell moment where everything becomes beautiful again. That is good rule in the Bible, good authority. Mm. And that's what redemption brings to us through Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great uh, image to describe what happens in the soul whenever Christ becomes king over that soul and the, they Amen. go from death to life, right? Amen. You mentioned sub, uh, submission before, and I think it's interesting that you have, uh, so there's four parts in the book. Part two is on submission. I think in a lot of our minds, um, we we assume, you know, I don't know where we get this from. Maybe maybe it's taught to us by culture, but that authority and submission are contradictory. Uh, they're they're two opposite forces uh, in opposition to one another. But I think that what you're presenting is that uh, that authority and submission are not in opposition to each other or a uh, contradiction, but they're actually both necessary to exercise authority. So can walk us through why is submission included yeah. in a book on authority? Yeah, I can understand why people say they're opposites. There, there is there is an oppositeness to them. But the way I describe the book is I say they're two sides of one coin, right? And to... Uh, submit to be under authority is actually then to be in authority. Be in authority is to be under authority. So again, think of the incarnate son. He places himself under, but by placing himself under, he places himself perfectly in authority, right? Because when you put yourself under authority, what are you saying? You're saying the one in, in authority, I'm with them. Mm. And what mm -hmm. you see in them, you're going to see in me. I am now representing the one in authority. Right. Yeah. So, so think about you know, teacher says to the class, "Hey, I, I got to run down the hall to the, the principal's office. I'm going to leave Johnny here in charge." And Johnny, she leaves little Johnny in charge because she knows Johnny is is going to execute her law, her rule in the classroom precisely as she wants it. She, she knows Johnny puts himself under her charge, and so she can trust him in charge of the classroom when she steps out you see mm -hmm. so authority and 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 submission are as i say again are two sides of the same coin which is to say if you want to move towards authority submission is the pathway there's another pathway you can steal the authority you can grab it or you can submit to it and let it be as it were granted to you think about the garden of Eden, genesis 3 what, is, what does God say? I'll give you all dominion. Just listen to me. Obey me. The path to authority over the whole world is by obeying to me. Satan comes along and he's like, no, you could be like God, disobey, right? Yeah. God is literally saying, you can't be like me in my image, ruling, just obey me. And Satan's like, I got a shortcut. Throw off that rule. Then you'll be like God. And we have been suckers and chumps ever since believing that same lie thinking the path to authority is to cast off all authority. And in creation and redemption, it gets more complicated in the fall, but in creation and redemption at least, uh, the pathway to true, good, godly, in the fear of God, just authority is, is by submitting to God and his word. He says that to the Israelite king in, in Deuteronomy. Read it, the book of the law, write it out all the days of your life. Do not rise above your brothers. Uh, he says to the, the, the coming king. 
Yeah, so the good kings of Israel were supposed to submit themselves to God's law. Last, last illustration. When our elders of our church are thinking about future elders, other elders, we want to know that a man knows how to submit. And we say that when he comes and sit with us, we say something like, hey, would you be willing to submit to the other elders? A man should not lead if a man cannot submit, right? Mm. I don't trust I don't trust the guy who won't submit to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do yeah. trust the guy who recognizes the, the role of submission and all of that. Now, again, the place of the fall and abuse, we haven't even got to that. Those are some serious co- complexities we, you know, we have to drill down into. Yeah. I don't want to dismiss any of that, overlook any of that. I'm just, I'm kind of giving you the, the blueprints right now for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, you said the fall complicates things. And, you know, that's what I was thinking about as you were talking about it. There's times whenever there are... Uh, illegitimate authorities that we are to not submit to and that for the sake of actually submitting to true authority, we resist uh, illegitimate ones. I think a, a really easy example that we could identify would be uh, would be the uh, the wife of a husband who is uh, lacking in moral authority, who is, uh, you know, abusive in speech or else. And, and so there's uh, an element there where she d- doesn't submit to his authority. Another example I can think of is, you know, what if we have a round two of COVID and the government says churches, you have to shut down again. You know, in that case, what do we, how do we weigh out? What does it mean to follow authority, uh, to, to submit to authority here? Um, but, uh, but weighing out what God says versus some of the other authorities in our life. Yeah, that's good. Well, chapter four is all about what is submission. And I kind of describe it in the ideal, like I just did with you. Chapter five is what are the limits of submission? And you need to talk about the limits of submission precisely because no authority on earth is absolute. Human authority is never, at all, anywhere, absolute. God alone has absolute, comprehensive, unquestionable authority. Human authority is always relative to the jurisdiction, to the office, to the job that God has assigned it, which is to say it only exists within these parameters. There's always limits to the authority any human has. Which means, as you and I find ourselves under authority, there, there are at least three occasions, I say, in which we, we should not submit. We should not submit, number one, when they ask us to sin. Really clear examples of that, Peter and John in the Sanhedrin, Daniel in the lion's den. Number two, we should not submit when an authority steps out of the jurisdiction, out of the lane that God has assigned it. You know, so the policeman can't tell my daughter who to marry. The, 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 yeah. You know, the, 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 the president should shouldn't say what right doctrine is or who's a member of the church and so forth. The, the pastor should not be declaring on tax law, right? So, okay, so number two, when it steps outside its jurisdiction, and number three, in, in a matter of self-defense in order to prevent harm, I, I think you can devour harm to somebody else. I think you can defy an otherwise legitimate authority. So when those things happen and we find ourselves questioning, is now a time to have the right? Should I submit? Should I, should I defy? Um... Number one, you should look to Scripture and, 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 and talk to your elders in seeking to understand Scripture, your pastors, and, and saying, okay, is this, a, is this a legitimate assertion by the government? So far as we perceive God to have assigned jurisdiction to this, this office holder here or there, can, 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 can the parents of a 30-year-old woman require her not to marry a certain guy she wants to marry? Children obey her parents of the Lord. I'm 30 years old. Well, I know where your parents. Mm. 
but I'm 30 years old. Is that a legitimate assertion of authority by the parents of the 30-year-old woman? Talk to your pastors, you know. Uh, number two, recognize that the final, in these kind of gray, area, gray areas, the final judgment belongs to Jesus. And you need to listen to your conscience, but also recognize that your conscience might be led astray and uh, seek to inform and educate your conscience and prepare finally for the judgment Jesus is going to give on the last day. So we all celebrate Martin Luther say, you know, here I stand, I can do no other. Oh, you're standing up for conscience. Great. Would we say the same thing to Arius, who said mm. Jesus wasn't eternal? Ah, oh, Arius was standing up for his conscience. Yeah. Well... He was wrong. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so no, I wouldn't applaud Arius and standing up for his conscience in the same way. Now, Martin Luther and to Arius both, I would say, okay, listen, friends, you're going to stand before King Jesus, and he's going to give a judgment on the final day, and you need to prepare yourself for that. So in any moment of these gray areas, the government comes back and says, you know, COVID's back. We're not meeting. Well, Equip your conscience by looking to Scripture and talking to your pastors, number one. Number two, uh, recognize you're going to give an account on, 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 the, on the final day. And Sometimes Jesus is going to say, you should have defied. You should have rebelled. You should have not listened and not submitted. And other times Jesus is going to say, you should have listened. You should have obeyed. I, I put that authority in, in, in place. Mm. And in these gray moments, uh Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh God, I don't know. Please tell me. Please lead. Please give wisdom. Father promises wisdom to all who ask. And so we, we need to pray and ask for it. He'll give it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it, it just underscores the need to continue growing in Christian wisdom to uh, to mm -hmm. be thinking about these kind of questions and conversations before that moment of decision is necessary um, yeah, no, so, that we exactly might, right. so we might be equipped and uh, prepared. That's good. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Can I, can I say one more point on this? Yeah. Uh, people often ask, what's, what's, the, what's the final authority? Well, again, there is no final authority on earth. Uh, there's only a final authority in heaven. Uh, so sometimes seminarians in my, in my class will say, who, I'll say to them, who is the final authority of her child? The, star, the parent or the state? And they'll say, well, the parent. And I'll say, what if, what if the parent's abusing the child? Oh, well, uh, in that case, the state. Okay, what if the state is saying you cannot... You cannot evangelize your child. You can't, uh, you know, tell them they're not that gender. You know, and then they, when the child decides he or she's not a he or she. Oh well, well then the parent, right? So it's kind of relative. It depends mm. on the circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so we 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 uh, only God has absolute authority. Yeah. So we got to keep going back to His Word. Yeah, that's good. That's good. As you go into the fourth section of the book, talking about what does authority look like in action, which, by the way, part three is five principles on how does good authority work. I wish we had time to go into those. But I'm going to go down to the, the last section because you end up applying uh, what good authority looks like in action to uh, several different uh, roles. Yeah. Yeah, de domains, roles of authority, um, beyond. So this book is not just uh, written to pastors. Uh, anyone who is interested in authority will be helped by this uh, to consider what does it look like in a variety of domains, including uh, being a spouse, so the, the husband, parent. You also go into government, managers, church, elders. 
Um, you divide it into two kinds of authority, command and counsel. Can you explain the difference between those? Yeah, both kinds. Don't be thrown off by the word counsel. Sometimes people say, oh, it's just counsel, it's not authority. No, I actually mean a form of authority. And by a form of authority, what, what both command and counsel have in common, authority of command, authority of counsel have in common, is that you have the moral right. Remember what I said authority is? It's a moral license. Uh, you have the moral right to, to bind a conscience, to say you must do this. And the person under your authority must do it. Okay, so that, that's, that's common between both columns, authority of command and authority of counsel. What's the difference? The difference is if you have an authority of command, you have the authority, you have the right to uh, enforce through discipline. Whereas an authority of counsel, you don't have the right to enforce. You don't have the right to exercise unilateral discipline. So authority of command, back to that column, the state. Does it have a right of enforcement? Yes, we call it the power of the sword. Parent of a young child, do they have a right of enforcement? Yes, we call it the power of the rod. The whole church, the congregation, do they have a power of enforcement? Of enforcement? Yes, we call it the keys of the kingdom. Right? Discipline, excommunicate. What about a husband? Does a husband have a right of enforcement? Scan your brain, your you know mind's eye through all of Scripture. Can you think of any text anywhere where... A husband is given the right to discipline, in some sense, his wife. I hope you say no. <laughs> really no, not me. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't mean judge for anybody listening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, you do not have the right to enforce or discipline your wife. It's a different kind of authority. I would say as an elder-led congregationalist, and elders don't have it either. Some Presbyterian Anglican listeners. Bible church listeners might disagree. We can have that conversation on another day. But I would say elders don't have it either. And the reason this is significant, these two kinds of authority are significant, is it changes the way you go about exercising that authority. With an authority of command, government, parents of young children, church, you can insist. You can you can force. You can say, sweetheart, you need to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. Uh you need to go to bed now or there's going to be consequences. I'm, I'm even going to use fear if I, if I have to, to make sure you obey my word and go to bed right now. You're three-year-olds. Listen to your dad. The, the policeman, same thing. Slow down your car. You can't drive that. You know, I'm, I'm going to pose a consequence. So, so but with authority of command, you're looking for quick, immediate response, and you'll leverage that in power of enforcement if you need to to uh, accomplish the intended effect. With an authority of counsel, husband, elders, no. What are you to do instead? You're to live with your wife in an understanding way. You're to teach, as Paul says to the elders, with great patience. Hmm. Because with the wife, with the church member, your goal is not to produce an immediate outcome, to get your way, right? The goal is to help lead them towards righteousness and loveliness and all of these things. And so you're appealing. I could command you, Paul says to Philemon, but I would rather appeal to you, he says. The goal is to get my wife... Uh, not to do what I want with this vacation. The goal is to help my wife be attracted to my leadership and desire union with me in all of life as we seek to fulfill the dominion mandate in all the earth. Uh, so there's a sense in which I'm to woo my wife in a Song of Solomon sort of way in everything by living with integrity and love and tender care. Not looking, working for the short term, but always working for the 50 years from now perspective. And yeah. so the pastor with a church member, 
right? Uh, imitate me as I follow Christ, says Paul. So I'm not looking to get Christians and the, my, my church to make right decisions right now so much as I am trying to exemplify godly righteousness and humility so that over time they too grow in godly humility and righteousness. So God has given me a kind of authority differently than the kind of authority he's given to me as a dad of young children or as a policeman, right? Yeah. And I think it's important that we, as we read the Bible, authority is good. Yes, step one. Step two, but it's also bad. Go, okay, let's, let's think about that. Step three, okay, what kind of authority? Different authorities have different textures, just like silk and burlap have different textures. And I think the most important thing to recognize is the difference between command and counsel and how that would call you to exercise it in a given domain. Yeah, that's good. And you spend several chapters working through each one of those different domains, being husband, parent, government manager church elder uh at the yeah. end of the book there and so uh so you guys can uh, see what he has to say and what column each one of those fall into i wish we had more time to go into the book some more because there's a lot more to discuss not just about the book but this topic in general but uh but we are at the end of our time it has been great to get to talk to you about this book and this topic has been a lot of fun so jonathan just want to thank you for taking the time to come and filter today aaron thanks so much good to, good to be with you Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast.